0: Um, we're going to be looking at the first reading we had today from Colossians. So if you get that open, that would be fantastic. Uh, the Colossians reading is where we're going to be camping out today. I'm going to ask that God would help us. Uh, so we, we've got an uh, exciting series ahead, and it's going to be pointing us uh, to the good things that are on that banner over there. And we're going to be asking God to help us be that church that we long to be. So how about I pray, and uh, we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the great opportunity we have this morning to gather in your name. Thank you, Lord, for the joy of lifting up your name in praise and prayer. Father, we do ask that you would help our hearts to be attentive this morning. Lord, that you would open the ears of our hearts, and we pray, Father, that you might change us because your Holy Spirit is at work here. We pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, uh, I know at least one person is here for the first time at church today, which is great. Uh, I want to ask you, so our church has been around for a little while. We're in our fifth and quite a bit year as a church. Uh, Do you know a church that's 300 years old? Does anyone know a 300-year-old church? Oh, yes. Tash? In where? Canberra. Won't be 300 years old. But that's an old church. Um, it'd be impressive if it was 300 years old in Canberra. Uh, the, church, the church I wanted to tell you about is a church that began with the help of a man called Nicholas Zinzendorf. How good a name is that? He must have had trouble spelling it as a boy, but he would have learned quickly enough. Uh, he was an aristocrat, uh, someone who was in the elite, uh, the leading people in Europe. Uh, so, Uh, well-connected, rich, and with the feet, uh, the world at his feet, essentially. Uh, When he was 10 years old, he started a a thing called the Order of the Mustard Seed. And it was uh, a group of uh, kids, essentially, that got together to say, God, we want to see the whole world reached for you. Now, this is 300 years ago, so it's a pretty unusual thing to be doing, regardless of whether you're 10 years old or not. Uh, As a young man... Nicholas wandered into an art gallery, and he saw this picture on the wall. And the inscription underneath it in Latin, which would have meant nothing to us, but because he was educated, he knew what it said, said this. says, this I have done for you. What will you do for me? There's a picture of Jesus. It says, this I've done for you, what will you do for me? And for Zinzendorf, this was like Jesus speaking to him. And he said, I know what you've done for me. If you, expect more, if you expect anything from me, I will pour my life out in thankfulness to you. And so Zinzendorf, having grasped what Jesus had done, heard the challenge, decided that it was going to be his life's work to make the good news of Jesus known around And he uh, was approached by a group of refugees and founded a little tiny city that uh, sprang up with uh, 20 or 30 families. From that city, that little town, little hamlet in Germany, in the east of Germany, a church grew. And the disciples of this church were quite extraordinary. Uh, they're called the Moravians, and I'm not sure if you've heard of them before, but they were an extraordinary group of people. The most famous story about the Moravians is the story told of some of the young men. Uh, they, had a, they had a vision for the world. They, they wanted to reach out to the whole world, and they'd heard about the slave trade, and they'd heard that there was an island in the Caribbean where the slave owner had said, no missionary or churchman will set foot. Uh, it'll be me and my slaves. Essentially, we don't need any of that nonsense here. We will look after ourselves. And there was about 3,000 slaves, apparently, on this island. And these young men, because of their love for Jesus, said, "Well, there's no way as missionaries or church people, that we can get to this island. What is the only way that we can get to the island? And they made the decision to sell themselves into slavery in order to go to this island. On the dock, on the morning as they have boarded the ship, they've lost their freedom, they've been sold into slavery, they're doing it out of devotion to Jesus, on the dock, their friends and family are gathered, and as the ship pulls out, it's one of the most famous things in, many of you will have heard this before, but one of the most famous things in, uh, in, in all mission, they said this. These two young men in their 20s said this back to those who were standing on the, on the deck, uh, standing on the wharf. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. They said there was no price too high for me to pay when I see what Jesus has done for me. They chose to be so faithful as to sell themselves in slavery to win those who were lost. The legacy abounds today. The Moravian church impacted a whole bunch of people, including John and Charles Wesley. You can imagine what impact they had in the world. Uh, They actually visited the Moravians. And then through them, the London Missionary Society was uh, influenced. And through that, our church missionary society, CMS, was impacted. So from this church, from this man standing in front of a painting, being faithful, millions of people around the world have come to hear the good news of Jesus. He was a rich man, and he chose to use his influence faithfully for Jesus. Well, what about our church? We've been going for a little bit less than 300 years what will the legacy of our church be? What what would we be famous for? The Moravian church is famous for mission and faithfulness. Interestingly enough, if we ask ourselves, what should we be famous for? Zinzendorf actually has a brilliant quote for us. Are you ready for this? It's absolutely brilliant. Here's Zinzendorf's quote. Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Isn't that great? Lest we think too highly of ourselves... (laughs) His line is, what are we here for? No, no, much better, much better. Who are we here for? We're here for Jesus. Do we want to make a name for ourselves? Heaven forbid. Preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. Absolutely love it. So this morning, we're going to talk about being faithful, not famous. Not famous, but faithful. That's, that's what we want to be as a church. We want to be faithful. I long to see our church defined by character a character of our church, and, and these words over here are incredibly precious to me, that we would be faithful in loving Jesus, that we would be adventurous in taking the good news out, that we would be compassionate in loving the least, and that we would desire to endure, not just burn brightly for a second, but run the race in such a way that we would win the prize. That is the church that I am longing for us to be, and that is the series that we're doing. So our series is called, Lord, Please Make My Church. And I put it this way so that we have it as a prayer, not just we're going to be, because it's not up to us, is it? It is at the individual level to strive to seek after God, but we can't make it happen on our own. So it's a pleading to God, Lord, please make our church. And today we're asking that God might make his church faithful, a faithful church. So let's look at a church that's 2,000 years old. Go back a little bit further than those 300. Let's go back 2,000 years to the church in Colossae in the middle of Turkey. Uh, So we're going to go to the book of Colossians, and we're looking at chapter 1. In uh, Colossians chapter 1, we're looking at verses uh, 3 to 4. It says this, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. See, here's Paul writing a letter, probably from Ephesus, and he's writing to a church that he did not plant. Did you know this? The, the church in Colossae was not planted by Paul. He didn't start the church. And so in Ephesus, or in Rome, wherever he's writing this letter from, Paul has heard about a church that he didn't start. And it's become famous. It's become famous. Famous for its faith and its love. I just think it's absolutely delightful. Uh, This is very, very early in, uh, in in the Christian faith. So Jesus died about 33 AD. Paul went on his second missionary journey in about 55 AD. It's argued that while he was in Ephesus, because it was a bit of a regional hub, a little bit of an Orem Park of its day. It was a bit of a regional hub. And there, there were people coming in and out from all the surrounding countryside. And while Paul preached in Ephesus, it's argued that Epaphras came, heard the good news, and then took it back home to Colossae, where he started the church. Paul probably wasn't even aware that Epaphras had done this, and so about five to six years later, he's writing a, church, uh, writing a letter to a church. He didn't start. And he writes, he starts by writing and saying, guys, you know what? I've heard of you. I've heard of the scandal and the unfaithfulness. I've heard of the money and the way that you have learjets as a church. And he didn't say any of that, did he? That's the only way churches get famous in our day and age, isn't it? Infamous. Here, right at the start, something beautiful had happened. This church had become faithful They've become famous, sorry, for being being full of faith and love. How good's that? You can stamp that on this church and walk away if you want, you know, that's pretty good. If someone, if someone in five years' time hears of our church and goes, Oh, that's a church full of faith and love, God would have done something good here, wouldn't he? Faith and love is what they have become famous for. Have you guys ever been to a spring? A spring. Water coming up out of the ground? Did someone? Anyone? A couple of people? Okay. It's a, it's a pretty special thing. Because, you know, we know water comes from plastic bottles, don't we? Uh, it, it's, it's an amazing thing. It's not just a dam that catches rain that's falling, but it's welling up from the water, from the ground, sorry, from under the ground. It's an absolutely beautiful thing. Here's water being provided, it appears almost magically, from beneath the surface of the ground. It's an incredible provision. I want you to see the spring that Paul has in mind that goes with this church in Colossae. Have a look with me at verses five and six. He, he said that they're famous for faith and love. Verse five, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard In the true message of the gospel that has come to you. See, what what had happened is their faith and love had come from somewhere. It was welling up from something that was lasting and eternal. Hope is faith's spring. Hope is faith's spring. And so, what's the hope they have? A hope stored up for you in heaven. What's the hope? I really hope I have a better week next week. Lame. I hope I survive this term. Lame. I hope my kids behave in the car on the way home. Important, but lame. Here's the thing what sort of hope is he talking about that is the spring of faith? He's saying, I know my eternal destiny. He says, I know that after I die, I will be raised never to be touched by death again. My eternal future is guaranteed at the right hand of the Father. That's the hope he has. And so what can this world do to me? My faith and my love overflow from the incredible hope that I have that's caught up for me in heaven. And so the future is assured and it makes a daily difference. See, we could think that, oh, I'm... You've now lost your mind. You're so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly use. Have you heard that turn of phrase before? Some of you may have. So heavenly minded you're of no earthly use. This is the exact opposite of that. They're so heavenly minded that they are of earthly use. It's overflowing in faith and love. How beautiful. How beautiful. So their future assurance makes a daily difference on the ground for the church in Colossae. He goes on and says what this faith and love do. Have a look with me at verses six and eight. He says that the hope that is stored up you in heaven, and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that came to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. It's pretty interesting. This gospel, this good news, is powerful. It's powerful. In a Roman Empire, that center was in Rome, a little dusty backwater called Israel had had an itinerant teacher spend three years telling people about the kingdom of God. He was crucified. And his tiny little group of followers decided to start telling people that he had risen from the dead. From this little backwater, in just 27 years, Paul is able to say the gospel is bearing fruit where? All over the world, he's saying. All over the world, this message of the crucified teacher from Nazareth is changing the world. It's growing all over the place. It's even growing, Paul's able to say, in places where I didn't plant it. How wonderful is that? And it's a message, a message about grace. So the gospel is good news and it says, it's been doing so among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. See, what do we need to understand about God's grace? We're made right by God, not by working hard. As I said to a couple, I was sitting with a couple uh, the other day in their house, uh, outside of the church, but, but who, who wanted to, uh, to talk with me. I sat with them, and I said, who goes to heaven? I said, I guess good people go to heaven, you know, don't they? I said, what if I told you that bad people went to heaven? What do you, what do you mean? I so, said, well, if you look at us, we're all shot through with sin, we're marked by sin. We are not equipped for heaven today. But God, in his son Jesus, died in our place and offers us freely a place in heaven. Bad people can go to heaven through the sacrifice of Jesus. That's called grace. It's utterly extraordinary. And so he says this gospel is bearing fruit. It's bearing fruit throughout the whole world. Do you know why? Why? Because no one else, nowhere else can offer you grace. It's a beautiful message. And it's growing. Do you know that Christianity has been growing since then too? Who knew? There's a church in Australia even. How about that? In Oran Park even. Incredible. Here's the thing. The gospel continues to grow. Let me give you one example of this. The gospel is growing in extraordinary ways in Africa. Remember these Moravian guys that were sold into slavery? They were, they were seeing Africans. They were trying to see Africans won. In Africa, in 1900, I'm reliably informed, there were 10 million Christians. I would think that's a pretty big number, isn't it? 100 years later, in 2000, that number was 360 million. It is projected in a quarter of the time that it took to get to that number... In 25 more years, it will get to 633 million. Does anyone think that's amazing? I I, I just think that's an extraordinary number, isn't it? The gospel is bearing fruit all over the world. Even as Australia becomes more secular, yes, it is still growing. I saw some amazing stats yesterday saying that Uh, from about 2000, they're projecting out to 2025, these stats. should have put them up, but they've actually said there's going to be a decline in atheism. Isn't that extraordinary? There will be a growth in Islam, you won't be surprised to know, will you? There'll be a growth in Buddhism, but almost everything else is going backwards and Christianity will continue to grow. That is not an insignificant thing to note. Paul wrote, in 61 AD, that the gospel was bearing fruit all over the world. And I can tell you today, it is still the same. It's a great, great bit of news. So what would you pray for the faithful? So if if Paul was going, hey, I've I've heard of your faith and love. What should I pray for that church in Colossae? Paul offers us some things that we could pray. Oh, go back. Ah, blew it. That's a shame, isn't it? I was going to say, do you know what that is? And you can say now, Oh, it's a hot air balloon. You guys are so quick this morning. That's brilliant. That's all right. You would have got it anyway, I'm sure. So, here's hot air balloons. In, there's the hot air balloon. How does a hot air balloon fly? Magic, I'm sure, right? Hot air, right? It's got to be filled with hot air. Um, if it's partially filled, it won't get off the ground. It kind of looks like a big stranded jellyfish, right? When it's properly filled, it'll fly. When it's flying, can you turn it off and not put the heat on anymore? For a little bit, and eventually you'll come back down to earth again. If you want to keep it going, you have to keep filling it with hot air. So it needs to go on being filled to fly. That is exactly what Paul is going to pray for the Colossians. Not that they'd be filled with hot air, just so we're clear. But so they'd be filled with something else. Why don't you look with me at verses 9 to 10. For this reason... Since the day we heard about you, Paul is so faithful, isn't he? I have heard of this church in Colossae. What does he say? Since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. That, That is absolutely spectacular. So first of all, what do I need to say? Number one, Paul, you're more faithful than me. You heard of a church and you haven't stopped praying for it. But what did he pray? He prayed that they would be filled, and not just once, but in an ongoing sense, that they would go on being filled. With what? With a knowledge of God's will. A knowledge of God's will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. And here's the equation. God's will, if you know God's will, you will live a worthy life, And you will be pleasing to God. So who's up for that? What ifs? Brothers and sisters, if you love God at all, what I'm telling you today is, if you know his will, if you know his will, okay, you can live a worthy life and you can be pleasing to God. Interested in knowing that? Lord have mercy, please make that so. Isn't that what we want? You can be pleasing to God. I think that is profoundly encouraging and your life will have worth. Think of Zinzendorf, right? What could he have done? He could have just been a rich bloke with a yacht and a whole bunch of women on the side, no doubt, because he was rich enough to cover it all up and pay off all the... He could have done all of that. Instead, he devoted himself to the proclamation of Jesus he made a faithful choice and can you you can never imagine that he regretted it can you he went ah if only I'd been more of a playboy I don't think he ever had that thought because he knew he was pleasing God and living a life worthy of his calling so what I want to ask you this morning is do you know God's will Do you know God's will? And when I say that, you might say, so does God want me to have cornflakes or Whitbix tomorrow? Like I'm, I'm just not sure. That is not what we're talking about. Do you know what God's big plan for the world is? Do you know your part in it? Have you given yourself to faithfully living that out? Do you know God's will? And if the answer this morning is, I don't really know God's will, that's okay. But don't let that be enough Find out. We'd love to help you. Keep journeying with us here at New Life, and you will come to know it. There's this amazing book where God tells you about his will. Have you heard of it? It's one of these. In here, you'll hear God's heart. You'll see his will. You will learn what God's priorities and purposes are for this world. It's all here. If only God would tell me. He kind of did. did. So do we know God's will? And I want to ask you, do we know his word? Because if you're a stranger to his word, you will be a stranger to his will. For extra bonus points, do you know his pleasure? Do you know that God delights in you? Are you doing things that you know please his heart? Or as I say that, are you thinking of things that you're doing that are grieving his heart? Stop doing them. Start seeking his pleasure. Because knowing his will, knowing his word, knowing his pleasure, it's on offer from the God of the universe. Does anyone go to the gym? Stu, I see the hand. You're looking fit. Anyone else sneak a little hand? Yeah, I can see some hands. I know you, Brett. Okay, great. Go to the gym. I, I personally can't stand it, but you know, good, good work. Um, why do we go to the gym? We go to the gym to strengthen ourselves. Have a look what Paul goes on to say. He says, so that you may live a life, in verse 10, live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work growing in the knowledge of God and being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might see what he's praying for is something that will overflow he's praying that he may live a life that they may live a life worthy of the lord bearing fruit in every good work so here's the thing faithful christians will do good things for god it'll bear fruit in good work you will grow In the knowledge of God. And wonderfully, when we did our survey a little while ago, a whole bunch of you said, I am personally growing in my knowledge of God at church. Keep going in that. Then it says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Plug me into that, Lord. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Beam that down. I need it for this week. If you want me to be faithful, God, you're going to have to give me strength. And he says, if he does that, then something amazing will happen, so that you may have great endurance, so that you may have patience, and that you may joyfully give thanks to the, fa- to the Father. Now, I'm just going to look at you, church. I'm going to tell you. I'm, I'm not going to even ask you. I'm going to be really presumptuous. You ready? I'm going to tell you that you need more endurance. I'm going to tell you that you need more patience. I'm going to tell you that you need more joy. And where's it found? Here, in knowing God's will and having it overflow by his strength in our bodies. Lord, give us more joy. Give us more patience. Give us more endurance to last to the end. And he says that we're to give thanks to the Father for two things. (laughs) If you want to inherit, you've got to prove that you're an inheritor. And so you might take a little DNA test and go, hey, who's your daddy? All right? Who's your daddy? And here, Jesus says, you can trick the DNA test for inheriting the universe. The DNA test for inheriting the universe has only one set of DNA. It's Jesus's. How will you and I inherit the universe? Well, Actually, God has done something in us. Have a look at, uh, at verse 12 here. And giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the holy people in the kingdom of light. You're like, what does that mean? What it means is God has given you Jesus' DNA. He has qualified you. The credentials have been provided. You are covered by his blood. Isn't that great? Covered by his blood. Blood's got DNA in it. It's nice, cute, Great. Credentials have been provided and your future glory is assured because God is the one who has made it possible. So the first reason we give thanks to the Father is because he's qualified us to inherit. The second reason that we give thanks to the Father is this, rescue from sure destruction. This is an amazing picture um, from Syria of a building that's just been bombed, a little girl just being saved out of it. Terror and destruction, but there we go, salvation in the midst of it. Paul says that Jesus has rescued us, in verse 13, from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. See, what God's done is something really simple but extraordinary. Rescue has been effected. If you're trusting Jesus, you're no longer going to hell. And that should change your present reality because today he has brought you from the kingdom of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of light. What great hope we have. So what would it look like if we lived this out? I like to think of this. It's great if we preach this message and you all go, oh, yeah, that's good. What would it look like if we lived it out? How would we be different? Imagine a church that is famous for its faith and its love. Imagine a church whose source of faith and love is their rock-solid hope in heaven. Imagine a church whose growth is overflowing out into Oran Park and the growing southwest and the wider world. Imagine a church that goes on being filled by the knowledge of God's will. Imagine a church that is made strong by the almighty presence of God. Imagine a church whose confidence was assured in the future, and who knew their present salvation. What would we do if that characterized us for the next 20, 30 years? Where should we start? We should start growing as apprentices to Jesus. And our three questions here say, what are you learning as you read the Bible and pray daily? Are you joining God's family on Sunday in a life group? How would you say your apprenticeship to Jesus is going? And I want to think about those three and just give you a very quick summary of how we could think about living that out personally for you. So there's three types of people here today. There are people who are new and newish. Welcome. There are people who are struggling, who have been coming for a while, who wouldn't say, I'm kicking goals for Jesus, but I'm still here. Well done. You've done great to be here. There are people who are new lifers for life. Great delighted that you're here, and you're following Jesus and on that path. I want to think about these three things. I want to think about Bible reading and prayer, life groups, and knowing Jesus. And I just want to think about what you should do if you're in one of these columns. If you're new and newish, and you haven't started praying and reading the Bible, guess what you should do? Get started. Grab this, our little reading plan, and give it a go. Just start reading a chapter a day. If you're in the struggling category, one word for you, it's very old-fashioned, Get disciplined. Find a way to do it every single day. You brush your teeth, don't you? If you're someone who's been doing this for a long time, I want you to think about what am I learning? Not just the the mechanics of it, but actually be going, God, what are you teaching me as I engage with you in prayer and engage with your word? If you've never been to a life group before and you're here today, we'd love to get you into one. Jeff would love the headache of trying to find a place, wouldn't you, Jeff? He's here somewhere. There he is, Jeff. Yes, he would love to do that. Um, So you might write on your Caring Connect card and say, I would love to be signed up for a life group. If you're in the struggling category, can I just look at you and encourage you? I acknowledge our kids get sick, but get along regularly. If you're someone who's going along regularly, can I encourage you to be praying for those who are in your life groups? Not just on the day they meet. What about this Jesus character? If you don't know Jesus, we'd love you to do Jesus for the curious with us. It starts next Tuesday. Write down your Care and Connect card. We'd love to introduce you to Jesus. If you're struggling, I want to encourage you to grow in knowing him. By praying regularly and reading his word, you'll start doing that. If you've been following Jesus all your life, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to keep thinking about, are you loving Jesus more? Are you loving Jesus more? We've got a little um, prayer card, hopefully, that you got uh, today as you came in. Did you get one of these? And all God's people went, oh, I'm not sure. I think so. Somebody handed me something. I don't know what it was. Uh, It's an encouragement to pray every day over the course of this series around the needs of our church and thinking into the future. I'd love you to use that. Pray those uh, each day. Now, at New Life, we want to be a really famous church. Is that right? Yes and no, isn't it? Right, we want to be famous for the right things. Let's say we don't want to be famous, okay. What we want to be is we want to be a church that is faithful, yes. Lord, make us a faithful church. And if you want to make that famous, knock yourself out, God. But as for me and my family, we're going to choose to be faithful. I've got a prayer for you. We're going to do one of these each of these uh, each of these uh, messages through this series. And I'd love you to hear someone other than me pray for the faithfulness of our church.